0: To face in the crowd. Hi
1: folks, this is Jack Spiergel with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is uh, Wednesday, February 20th, 2013. This is episode 1075 of the Survival Podcast, and it's a cool one today. I've got a guy named Jim Phillips I'm about to bring on for you guys. He is a cold weather expert. This guy has worked with the military, he's trained people all over the world, Uh, he's camped out on the top of mountains in, in the middle of Alaska, you name it. Uh, and done so with no tent, no fire, no shelter, uh, with just a specific type of clothing system that he's put together. And, uh, he's here to talk to you about all of that and more today. Before I get to Jim though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, Fortress Defense Consultants. You know what? It's great to own a firearm. I think everybody should. It's great to own ammunition. I think everybody should have ammo to go with their guns, or your gun's in overpriced club. It is great to train and practice, whether you're doing it with drills at home or actually going out to the range and live firing. That's all awesome and everybody should do that. But one of the things that has to get added to that thing, to be like your fourth pillar beyond personal training, beyond weapons ownership, beyond uh, ammunition ownership, is professional training. You do not know how you're going to perform in a crisis, and you never will until, God forbid, the day comes. The only thing you have to rely on at that point is training and repetition and doing it right. Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of instructors will help make sure that you not only get great training with them, but they'll train you to train better on your own. Check them out today at FortressDefense.com. Next up today, backyard food production. You know, it's great to have a gun. It is. It's uh, great to have a lot of the supplies that we talk about. It's great to even store food. you got to store food because if you don't eat, you die. And when you die, you fail the number one rule of survival. Don't die. I, I don't know if you've checked into this or anything, but since you're worried about survival if you're listening to this show, if you die, you failed. It's pretty cut and dry. But when it comes to food... It's something that's universally necessary. Everybody in the world needs it. We have to have it often or we're going to be dead. But we also have a finite limitation to how much food that we can store. The production of food is the key to self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. If you want to be able to do that, you need to get Marjorie Wildcraft's DVD series called Growing Your Groceries at BackyardFoodProduction.com. You get that DVD, and it doesn't matter if you have a tenth of an acre in the suburbs or ten acres or a hundred acres in the country, you'll be able to adopt her systems and use them to produce for yourself. How to produce your own protein, your own vegetables, carbohydrate, crops, you name it, it's available there. It's, and Again, the DVD series is called Growing Your Groceries. It's available at BackyardFoodProduction.com. also want to remind you guys, check out TSP Mint and TSP Gear. Uh, those are two ways you can help support the show. TSP Gear, you get awesome, cool-looking stuff. Right? TSP Mint, you get silver and you get it at a price that's competitive with anybody in the industry. MSB members, you can get silver one ounce medallions at TSP Mint for only a dollar and ninety-nine cents over the spot price of silver. And if you're a non-member, you can get it for two ninety-nine a coin spot price over silver. That's great pricing. Check it out today, TSP Mint and TSPGear.com. Check out 13skills.com. Improving your skills is one of the ways you can really be prepared. It's not about just the stuff that you have. It's about the knowledge in your head, and we need to restore skills to America. That's why we'll be found at 13skills.com. I'd love to see you over there with a profile. Remember, we are featuring members on the 13skills blog. If you have a blog post or a forum post or a video or anything you've done that documents your work in improving your skills in 2013, send it along with your uh, your 13 Skills uh, profile name to skillgirl at at 13skills.com, at, 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 and Dorothy will work on getting you up on the 13 Skills blog. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Hey, if you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get a bunch of great discounts on a bunch of great stuff, and you help support the show at a whopping, humongous, 18.3 cents an episode. But it gets even better. If you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, email me before, not after you join. First responders like paramedics, you guys qualify for this too. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if you're prior service, and I'll send you a discount code that will give you a great discount on an already great deal. Again, uh, if you want to know more about the TSP Members Support Brigade, go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on members or click on the members support brigade banner in the right hand margin. With that, I've got everything wrapped up. It's my good fortune now to introduce our special guest today, Mr. Jim Phillips. Jim again was referred by great friend of the show, uh, record setting guest appearances, Mr. Stephen Alternative Energy Harris. Uh, Steve had some discrepancies with some people on the blog. I actually got on Steve's case. I said, you know, you're not really explaining yourself very well, Steve. Be nice cuz Steve can be even, you know, snippier than I can at times. But he said, "Man, you got to talk to this Jim Phillips guy." And uh I started looking into him because I don't, you know, even with Steve's recommendation, I don't take people on subjects like this lightly. You're talking about something where people are betting their life on the information they're given. And I was incredibly impressed with Jim and uh, reached out to him, and we tried to make sure we got him on before the winter was over so we could put this information to use as early as possible. And uh, we were able to get him on right before my trip to the uh, Great White North of New Hampshire. And uh, with that being said, hey, Jim, man, welcome to the Survival
0: Podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: Hey, Jim, um, you were referred to me by Stephen Harris, who's a great friend of the show. I think we've had him on 11 or 12 times by now on Alternative Energy. It came from a discussion that went into some cold-weather gear stuff on the blog, and Steve had some disagreements with some guys over wool. And he said, like, you got to talk to this this uh, Jim Phillips guy, man. This guy is the guy at Cold Weather Survival. And, and kind of the first thing that I would want to lead off to you with then is that there's people – all over the world that already live in these really cold, wintry areas. I mean, I live in Texas, so this is not a huge topic for me. Cold for me is like 25 degrees, right? Um, Right. But there's lots of people that have winter coats, they have clothing, they, you know, they don't, there's just people that are unprepared everywhere. We both know that. But in general, most people in northern climates feel like they're pretty prepared for the cold because they deal with it every year. Um, Why do you think they need something different?
0: Well, I just ask people, so how's it going? Uh, Do you get cold? Do you get wet? Uh, Do you love winter? Do you look forward to winter? Uh, Are you able to stay outside as long as you'd like to? If you got caught in an emergency, I mean, there's no utilities and no shelter, and it's, you know, cold. Let's say it's zero or colder, and the wind's blowing, and you're outside. How are you going to do? And in a lot of cases, people go like, well, no, I'm just going to go inside. What if there's no inside to go into? Because sometimes that does, in fact, happen. And I know we develop habits of doing things that we get by with. I mean, I've done that. You know, you're, you're okay because you're okay because you can keep doing what you're doing, but how do you get along when things are really sideways and uh, you're now in trouble and you're suffering cold and wet? So we have developed habits that are mostly centered around having access to shelter and heat after a few hours or maybe a few days. You know, some people say, well, I I go out and I go elk hunting or rice fishing for three days and I stay out and I'm okay. Could you stay out for two weeks with exactly what you have without any ability to service it in the way that you are? I, I like to look at the extremes because I have kind of a way of looking at life that says this, you know, there's no doubt that tomorrow will come, there's no dispute that things happen, but how you're prepared to meet tomorrow will make all the difference in the world. If you're prepared for the worst, then no matter what happens, it will be an adventure. I'm not into gloom and doom, and I don't want to get all riled up about all the bad things that can happen, but if it's a possibility, gee, I want to be able to deal with it and know that I'm okay because then my attitude is, hey, come what may, I'm, I'm going to be okay. It's not lackadaisical. It's based on knowledge of how and why things work. Now, when it comes
1: to severe conditions, the the most extreme conditions, the coldest that it gets on planet Earth, and you've you've been to places and you've done this, you actually speak against layering. Let me say that again so it will be misunderstood me, against layering. And that just begs the question, how, how the heck can you do that? I mean, layering is the most accepted practice. It's taught by all branches of the military. I learned it when I was in the military, right? Every manufacturer, every outdoor organization, the outdoor school, uh, schools teach it. Sporting goods stores teach it. Hell, even the Boy Scouts teach layering. So how can you say like don't layer?
0: Well, uh, uh, first off, yeah, I recognize it's like a religion, and if you say anything against, uh, you know, it, you're, it's kind of like blasphemy to say something like that. But I don't speak against it in every situation. It's just it has its limits. Uh, when I do some of the classes, I just talk about going beyond the limits of layering. I use layers all the time. We all use layers all the time, or regularly, I should say. Now, there's times when I will shift out of layering because layering has very specific problems when you get into severe conditions, and I can define severe as being something that's extremely cold or, or cold and windy and things like that. We're going to be in it for a period of time, or it may be milder than that, say 20 degrees, but now you're going to be living outside with no fire and with no shelter, and you're going to have to do that for day after day after day. Those are severe conditions, and layers require servicing. Layers require you to be involved in maintaining them. We think of layers as the way to go because, okay, it's colder, put more on. It's warmer, take some off. Now, that makes sense. That's easy to understand, and it's not rocket science. But the problem you have with layers is, Two things. It can be the materials that are being used, sometimes we have this mixture. You mix in some wool and synthetics and put those together. That's wrong to get the best performance out of them. And then the other thing that most people don't recognize is the fact that layers will collect moisture in between the layers. I do not care what the material is. You will, in fact, over extended periods of time, be collecting moisture in between layers. And the problem with moisture is that's what will... Well, water transfers heat 25 times faster than air, so a little bit of moisture in your clothing has a huge impact on its performance. So layers, if you're going to use them in extreme conditions or for extended periods of time, you start having trouble. Now, if you're an expert and you work with them and you layer up and layer down and you service those things and you hang them up in the sun and or you take them inside and dry them by stove or things like that, you can get away with using them for extended periods of time, but now you're dependent on fire And on shelter, what if you don't have fire or shelter? My other little argument for this is show me any animal on planet Earth that lives in extreme conditions, far north or far south, but far north, that layers other than man. And as a matter of fact, the Eskimo didn't layer the way that we layer. You know, many, many thin layers didn't do that And because he knew better. He had learned better. The caribou, it doesn't layer. The polar bear doesn't layer. The farming gun doesn't layer. You know, there's all these animals... They change the thickness and density of their insulation, but they don't put on or take off layers because the laws of physics will explain why layers have problems. So what I've tried to do through the years is learn the laws of physics, understand how and why they apply, and then use them correctly and things go better. So if I'm going out and I'm going to either find myself being caught in an emergency situation, which sometimes happens, I take with me... My backup clothing that will be non layered. It's monolithic. It's monolithic, homogeneous, monolayer, one layer, uh, and it's thick enough to take care of me because then I don't have moisture problems and I can literally live in that clothing continuously. And I have done that. This is not a theory that looks like it would work. This is something I've done weeks on end at below zero without the necessity for fire or shelter.
1: I mean, with something like that, it almost sounds like what you're saying is this suit itself becomes the shelter.
0: It is. In fact, that's the way of defining clothing in a very general sense is this is personal, portable, shelter. And if your clothing is right, you don't have to have tent, stove, building, or those things. No, but I'm not against shelter because shelter is a wonderful thing to come into, but there's times when for some reason, if you can't have it, you have to have your clothing right. So that's, that's the reason I talk about it. It's not that layers cannot be used or shouldn't be used anytime, It's just understand their limits. And in some of the classes I do, I just finished doing one that's an audio class that I teach people how to tune up their layers to get the best possible performance from them, but then realize that they will still have limits to them and there's a time when they're going to break down on you, collect moisture, and then you've got a problem.
1: Now, if you're going out on a limb here, let's go all the way out. You even
0: talk
1: talk about not using wool. Now, in every freaking book I've ever read, right? Wool is the the god, man. That's the thing you need to have. Wool's the best thing because it still insulates if it's wet. In fact, wool's been used for thousands of years. I mean, aren't you going way out there on a limb when you say that, you know, don't use wool?
0: Well, here again, it's understand where it fits. That's the problem. You have to know where it fits in the scheme of things. And yes, wool is traditional. Wool's been around for a long time. It's been around longer than any of the synthetics. But if to say the statement that wool is the best thing to use because it's warmer when wet or however it's said, that is a wives' tale. And what a wives' tale is, it's where you take a certain set of facts that may in fact be true and then you expand them to be something beyond the limits of them. So if you made the statement that wool is the best thing to use because it's warmer when wet compared to down and cotton, now we just made a true statement because it is far better than down or cotton and it will handle moisture better. You see, the problem with uh, these materials, these natural materials, they're all hydrophilic, hydro, water, affinity for or love of, and they're going to pick up and hold water. Cotton, I think we recognize that one. It's sometimes called death cloth. Most people figure that one out because it's going to suck up water right into the fiber just immediately, instantly, pull the water into the fiber and hang on to it, and then you literally have to cook it out of it uh down when it gets wet, it soaks up water in there and it it clumps together and turns into this mush and you can have a down sleeping bag or a down parka and it's like having a little wad of cooked oatmeal down at the bottom when it all clumps together. It won't give you any insulation. The advantage of wool is that it is in fact much slower on the uptake of water. In fact you can even there's a little video that's on our website, people can go watch this water test and you can see where you put some fabric, different fabrics or materials in water and just watch how they respond to it. Wool is very slow. It's like uh, in a dish of water, if you throw a piece of cotton in there, it'll take it about oh uh, ten, within 10 seconds It's on the bottom. It's full of water, and it's just sunk all the way to the bottom. The wool takes, I don't know, I don't remember exactly, it's like 15 minutes, but it'll do the same thing. It's just much, much slower, so it has that advantage. Once it gets wet it still is a better insulator than cotton or down. But its problem is that it is holding moisture and it's going to take a lot of heat and a lot of time to drive it out of there compared to some of the synthetic materials we have that, number one, will not pick up material into the fiber. They they still get damp and wet, but they don't hold it in the fiber and the moisture will come out very, very quickly. So it kind of depends on what you have access to. If, If you have access to wool and cotton and down and you don't have anything else, please go for the wool because it will be far better. However, you're going to have to be very careful about how you handle it and use it over time. This is where you're using it for days on end, weeks on end, and it will almost always require you to have some shelter and or fire so that you can be changing clothing and or drying those things out. So it's far superior to the other uh, natural materials But compared to the synthetics that we can use, it doesn't even come close. So again, it's know where it fits. It's know the limits of things. Understand what the reality is and then work within reality rather than tradition or habit. And very often some of our clothing and the things, how we do things, they're done by tradition or by habit. It doesn't have anything to do with what are the laws of physics, what's the laws of nature here, what's the laws of physiology. So learn what the truth is really and then just live within it Don't just tie yourself to a habit or a tradition.
1: Well, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, You also talk about a cold weather, uh, a clothing and cold weather doctrine system. What the heck do you mean by that? Is that like some super complex, high tech space age rocket science program that only a very few are qualified to learn, or is it something for everybody?
0: Well, it is a system because if you think about it, we say, okay, uh, my safety is all in my clothing, and, and, and that's not true. The clothing has to be right to do certain things, but now it's about, well, what do you eat? What do you drink? What's the physiology of the body? How does it work? It's starting to understand. You see, if I have cold hands or feet, why are they cold? Well, if I'm outside at 20 below zero and I don't have any mittens on and I'm standing on flip-flops, that's pretty quick to figure out. It's kind of like i got nothing on them. They should be cold. But suppose you have on what looks like adequate insulation. Uh, You you have on a good set of mittens, and you have some pretty good boots on, but you still have cold hands or feet. Why? When you understand how these things work, that's where the system comes in. It's the doctrine. It's the understanding. It's the practices. And you understand both how the body works in the cold and how it responds to the cold, and you understand how clothing and water and layers and all these things react together, how they work together. You get this interplay, and if you understand it, it's not about memorizing big, long lists of things. It's just understanding some of the basic principles, like how does water move in the cold? There's a law of physics that is irrefutable. It's exactly like gravity in terms of its functionality, but it's not gravity, but it's how does water move. So if you understand how water would move in your clothing, then what you want to do is help it move so it'll get out versus, you know, like, oh, well, let's not pay attention to that rule and let's just do what we always did. That's why people use things like waterproofing in the cold. And waterproofing will kill you, quite frankly. There's a doctrine point right there. Now, waterproofing and waterproof breathable has its place. But what you start to understand, what are the limits? Where does it really fit? And these are all based on the laws of nature, the laws of physics, not what somebody's trying to sell you. Uh, in terms of a product to buy or, or a concept. It's just what are the basic fundamentals. So that's the system of understanding. It's the clothing. It's the body. It's the nutrition. It's the, the physics to control how things work. And once you get that down, you now can understand what to do. And part of the reason you want to do that is suppose you find yourself in an emergency situation. Something happened. And, and I'll talk about myself. I'm someplace, and I really wish I had all of my perfect gear. But for some reason I don't have it because there's one of these things that happened unexpectedly. I mean, it just came out of the blue. Can't even believe I'm in this situation. Shouldn't be, but here I am. If you are dependent on having a particular set of equipment that works because it works, but you don't understand why it works and you don't understand how your body works and how nature works, then you're looking. Then you're going like, I don't know what to do. I'm I'm, going to die. And I've come across people in situations that have said that. You know, you come to them and here's this guy leaning up against a tree in this blizzard, you know, and he's obviously in hypothermia and suffering. We're in the same blizzard having a ball and this guy's leaning up against a tree saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'm going to die. That's a lousy attitude and you're in trouble unless somebody's there to rescue your hiney. So in my case, if I find myself in a less than ideal situation, if you understand the rules and the laws, you start looking around and saying, okay, I don't have what I wish I had, but you know what, that thing over there, it'll do this, this'll do that, this'll do that, and you start creating what you need rather than saying, ah, crap, I don't have my stuff, I'm a deep wazooie, and you sit down and die. So understanding is what it's really about. It's getting the knowledge and the understanding over just having equipment, one of the ways I explain it sometimes is that what you know is far more important than what you have. What's inside of you, your knowledge, your skill, your understanding, is far more important than just having the perfect stuff.
1: Yeah, we'll get into some of your thoughts on that in just a second here on, on what is the perfect stuff. But can we get maybe a concrete example there? You're out somewhere. It's not. It's not the tundra, but it's 20 degrees. It's getting colder. Uh, you weren't prepared. You have basic, a basic jacket and stuff like that. Now you're screwed. You have no real shelter. Can you give a concrete example of how that systematic thinking would lead you to a solution?
0: Sure. Well, let's first off, you have to understand how do you get there? We don't usually just drop out of nowhere, out of a vacuum, someplace. We were traveling there. Let's say. I'm flying uh, to go someplace. I'm flying in a small craft or a big craft. I don't care. And I'm flying across some really ugly country. First off, if I was doing that, I would choose to be quite well prepared. But let's say for some, well, let's say I have all my stuff. And it's in the baggage compartment. And this plane goes down. And when it goes down, uh, that baggage, that bag is lost. Uh, Of course, myself, I'd actually be wearing it because I've done this. If I'm going into a situation, I want to be prepared. But somehow I got out there. And I don't have my perfect set of clothing, and I don't have my perfect sleeping bag. But what you usually have around you, in fact, almost every case, you're going to have a vehicle. It might be a snowmobile. It might be an automobile. It might be an airplane. It might be a snowcat, since we're talking about winter. So here I am, stuck out there, and I just happen for some reason to not have my best clothing with me. Well, I want to always have some tools with me. I, I have one of the most primary tools, most important of all, that happens to be my pocket knife. Some people may carry a bigger blade. That's fine, but I carry a pocket knife because it's small enough to go in my pocket and I'll wear it at the church or any place I go. With that pocket knife and understanding the kinds of things that I'm looking for and in the cold, what do you want? I want insulation. What do we use for insulation? I mean, if you, like sometimes you hold up a piece of puffy white stuff or some down or a piece of wool, and ask people, is this insulation? They go like, well, yeah. Let's ask the real question. What is it in it that actually insulates you? And most people understand, oh, it's the air. It's trapped, stabilized, dry, non-moving air. In little pockets is what you want in little bubbles or pockets. So if you understand what I'm looking for in insulation, and there's a statement sometimes that says, you know, in the winter we want to put on heavy clothing. Not really. What I want to put on is clothing that's very lightweight but very thick. In other words, it's mostly air. You look around in this vehicle, and what am I going to find that I can use for insulation? It may not be perfect. Well, you got the the seat cushions. They're very often made with either molded or sheets of open-cell polyurethane foam plastic. There may be other things that have air in them, so I'm looking for something that has air. Preferably, I'd like to have something that has a lot of air in it, but it's also open so that the moisture can move through it. See a a a diver's wetsuit that's made out of neoprene. Now, it's pretty decent insulation. It's not real thick, but it may be three-eighths of an inch thick, and it's all these little bubbles that trap air. That'll do a pretty good job of insulating you, and if you had it so that it was an inch thick, that would be pretty darn good. Its biggest problem is the fact that all the moisture that's coming through your skin all the time, 24-7, you're giving off moisture. And I don't mean sweat. I just mean you're giving it off. The challenge is that moisture is going to be trapped in next to you, and over a period of a few hours or a couple of days, that's really problematic. But we'll set that aside for right now. I'm just looking for something that is full of air. If I'm with a vehicle, I will almost always have some kind of a insulation material that I can use. Now, it it may even be fiberglass under a hood. Now, I don't want that next to my skin. But if I had to, I could put that in between some fabric, so that the fiberglass wouldn't touch me directly, but I can get some insulation. I might find bubble wrap. I might find packing peanuts. You know, if I'm stuck in a warehouse and the utilities are off and I'm locked in and it's cold, man, I'm going through boxes looking for packing peanuts, I'll crawl in a box full of packing peanuts. You see, you start looking outside the box and saying, what do I need? It's cold. I need insulation. What can I find? Now, if you drop into the wilderness and you're, I'll say, just in your street clothing, and it's 20 below zero and there's no trees around or any kind of a shelter, you're in big trouble. You, sh- you, know, you shouldn't be there with that, and it's going to be very difficult to survive if you don't have some level of insulation. Snow is a great insulator. If I have halfway decent clothing, then I can use the snow to shelter me. People talk about you know snow caves or things like that, and once you get inside, you're out of the wind, and it's going to be warmer inside there than it will be out in the environment. So in every situation, if you understand some laws of physics, how and why some things work, you start looking for what's the answer that will take care of me to start solving my problems, and you start going down the list. The top of the list, particularly in the cold, is you want to maintain body core temperature. It's all about the body core temperature and then ultimately about extremities and things like that. Okay, so if I have a way of insulating myself, what's my next priority I've got to do? In the cold, and this is where a lot of people don't understand, it's critically important that you stay hydrated because you dehydrate very rapidly in the cold. I, I explained it this way. If it's 20 below zero, you're going to be dehydrating just about as fast as if it was 120 above zero.
1: And, and what's so- really dangerous about that is when you're in extreme heat, You feel it, and you know you're dehydrating, and you're compelled to drink, and in the cold, you you dehydrate without realizing it.
0: That's right, and and you don't, and you go like, well, I'm not sweating. Uh, In fact, you might even be a little bit chilly, so it's like, how can I be thirsty? I'm not sweating. Well, you're giving off moisture all the time, but the dehydration, see, we go back to these laws of physics. The law of physics says the moisture will move. This, This is irrefutable. Moisture will move from where it is warm to where it's cold. Now, that's great in your clothing because inside next to you, it better be warm or you have a big problem, right? So it's warm inside with you, and outside it's cold. It's 10 below zero, whatever it is, and the moisture wants out in the worst kind of a way if you'll let it get out. Well, the same thing is going on with your body, but this is counteractive to you. I mean, it's it's counter to your health and well-being, and most people, they see it, but they don't understand what it means. Moisture wants to move from where it's warm to where it's cold, and it moves very rapidly, And the bigger that temperature differential, the faster it will move. It's like gravity. So I'm out there, and what are you doing? You have a habit you've developed through all of your life of breathing. So you breathe in this cold air that's very dry also, and it immediately sucks up moisture right out of your bloodstream. And when you exhale, do you see that cloud of steam coming out? You can exhale away easily two quarts of water a day you have your regular uses of water that's in all your metabolism and detoxing and cleansing and those things and digestion that might be using about two quarts of water a day for an adult, and I've just added two quarts on top of that. So if I'm not drinking a gallon of water a day, I be- get behind the water curve and what happens is when you become dehydrated, you don't produce as much heat. Your Your furnace is going out the way I might describe it. And so now if your clothing is not all that adequate, it's not as great, then and you're becoming dehydrated. You're going to expire very, very quickly because you're losing more heat than you're producing, and you start producing less and less and less heat. So you can die very quickly from dehydration. The, I, I call. I just simply say this: that dehydration is the primary trigger to hypothermia in the cold, and people don't recognize it coming, so it sneaks up on them, and there they are, they're in hypothermia and trouble before they know what's going on. And now once you're in this significant hypothermia, you can't even think straight to get out of it, and you just just lose it unless somebody rescues you.
1: Now, you do make some claims that make people go, huh, really? Uh, And one is you claim that it's possible for people to live not just in the cold, but out in the cold 24-7 at temperatures below zero, no need for shelter or heat. Now, I remember this dude that was in the Navy SEALs that was on some kind of uh like a reality show and they put like a guy in a tank of cold water and like how long and they put like normal people in there, how long they could take it, and most of them were in there for like eight minutes and were, like get me out and this Navy SEAL dude like was in there so long basically the doctors said get him out. His core was warm, his legs and arms were like going down at dangerous levels and he was still in there tolerating it. Are you talking about stuff like that or are you talking about a system that normal everyday people can use
0: hey i've tried pain and i've decided i don't like it it's not what it's cracked up to be it sucks yeah well i'm getting old enough right now you have to be a little more careful the reason i say you can do that is because i've done that and this is living uh, out in exposed conditions where temperatures may be maybe it's below zero as the air temperature and or the wind chill is below zero and stay out there in it and it's not just me. See, if it was just me, I could be this really tough guy. You know, I'm the Navy SEAL super dude and rip my teeth and can tolerate a lot of pain. Alright. If it was just me doing that, then, you know, who else can use that? But what I do is I teach other people, take other people out, help them do that. And, uh, there's, there's actually, there's a classic program. It's, it's on our website and people can watch this little video that's in there of a, it's a grandmother and grandfather. And the lady, she admits this. I mean, she talked about it. She says, I was an overweight couch potato, and she was. Uh, and since then, she's actually lost 100 pounds because she got motivated to do this. But we went out on what I call snow college, and that's to take people out once they've learned how to make the clothing and they understand the, the, the physics and some of these kinds of things. Then you don't really know what you know until you go and do it, and then you know that you know. So I call it snow college, and we take people out and if in a controlled situation the first time, so they can bail if they need to, if something's really, really wrong. This is not about killing people. But you watch this one. It's called the Winter Without Worries Experience because that's what I call the training. It's winter without worries. And you, you listen to what this lady, part of what she went through, but I, I it's classic because she had an attitude of wanting to learn and was having all kinds of difficulties out there. But the thing she said again and again we're, we're out there at high altitude. The temperatures are running like 10 degrees. We're living exposed. There's no tent. There's no snow cave, uh, no snow house, nothing like that. We, we obviously don't have any heat because you can't heat the whole outdoors. We're staying outside and she's going like, I was never cold. Uh, and, but if she had been cold while she's having these troubles trying to learn how to do things, if you were cold at the same time, you quit. You either quit and go home or if you can't go home, you just quit and die. So that was why it's classic. She's a better spokesman for this than I am because this was the first time that she had ever winter camped or snow camped or ever gone out and lived like this. Had a series of difficulties in trying to because of some of it's climbing at high altitude and overweight and these kinds of things, but she was never cold. So if Connie can stay warm, I figure anybody can stay warm as long as you obey the rules. And we, now that was not an extended period out there, but it was, you know, a, a day and a night or uh, two days and a night. You're going to find out if things are working in a hurry, whether they're working very well or very poorly, uh, quite quickly. This last year, when I took a group of people out, we were very fortunate, and we got jumped by a screaming blizzard. I'm going to have these videos up here on my website a little later for people to watch, but uh, it was uh, we were running 10 degrees, and we had 80 mile an hour plus winds, and we were in exactly the same location I we was talking about. It was on an exposed ridge, you know, where people go. Why would you go there? Well, I go there so we're exposed, so that if we get a little bit of wind, it'll be magnified because people need to know that they're okay. You need to have the experience in setting. And so here we were out there in wind chills way below zero, snow blowing, can't see hardly anything, and we're out there in the open. We have a, a wind break. That's all that we have. You don't have. You, know, you get tired of being an 80-mile-an-hour wind. But we're living out there in it. We're sleeping out there in it. Go to bed, in the bed's the way we teach people to do it. Stay right out in there. Nobody was hurt. Nobody suffered. Uh, and it's you know. And so it isn't just me. It's that if you understand the rules and obey the rules, and I'll tell you what, nobody there had any layers on. We weren't using any layering or anything like that because you would have been in trouble fairly quickly with layers. Uh, and people are dry and warm and just fine out there. So it's not just me, and you don't have to be tough. You just have to learn the rules and live by the rules.
1: So, I mean... Just come to the chase. How did you, how were you able to do that? Well, How were these people equipped?
0: Well, what they've done is we've put together a clothing system. I teach people how to make it. There, I haven't found anybody that's making it right yet, so I teach people how to make it, and then hopefully get some of the stuff being made for people. What we're doing is, let's, let's go back to what we said in the very beginning. We're not going to use layers for the extremes. So you're going to have to have an insulation that's going to take care of you. And what I use for insulation, we've been doing this since the 1960s. This is not, this is a new technology that's been around from the 60s, basically. And we're going to use open-cell polyurethane foam plastic, uh, and we're going to use one inch of it for our primary clothing from head to foot. For a sleeping bag, I use an inch and a half, and in the footwear, we're using between an inch and a half to two inches, depending on how you build the footwear and put the sock and everything together. And so I'm covered essentially from head to foot with one inch of trap stabilized dry non-moving air. There is zero waterproofing, zero waterproof breathable. Now you have to have something that's tightly woven so the wind doesn't blow through it and those 80 mile an hour winds up there, if you had uh, something that was too open, you know, the wind will blast through it. So you have a tightly woven shell, usually nylon or polyester. And, uh, but it's not coated. It's not waterproofed. Uh, so that the moisture can go through it because the moisture wants out. There's no cotton, there's no wool, there's no down, and there's no layers in there. So what we're doing is we're paying attention to all these rules that say the moisture that comes off my skin because it's coming off all the time, it's kind of looking at that cold out there and it says, I want to go out there. What it is is the difference in vapor pressure, the the difference in temperature, the differential temperature from inside to outside means there's a differential vapor pressure. The vapor pressure inside by your skin where it's 92 degrees is really high compared to 10 degrees or 10 below out there. It's very low. It's like a vacuum out there. It just wants out. Let it go out. So this open cell foam matrix allows the moisture to pass right through it. All the fabrics and anything we use, the moisture can pass through. So the rules that we're obeying is it's real simple. It's trap the heat, which is easy, release the moisture, which is more difficult in the industry that makes clothing and people that teach about it, they have no clue how to actually do that. Uh, they, they try to do it artificially with waterproofing, waterproof breathable, so you don't get wet and all these kinds of things. It doesn't work. You get wet out there. because well, I mean, you, you've
1: said, dry. I was watching some of your stuff, and you said basically waterproofing will kill you. It will kill you dead, right? Better than right. And so if that's the case, then the way you stay dry is not by keeping water out, but by letting water out.
0: It's by letting water out, and it's by, see, people say, well, I go out in the snow and I get wet. You know, I, I go outside and I'm out in the snow and I get all wet. Now, if it's 35 degrees and you're out in the snow, well, you're going to get wet from that because you've got mush and slush out there. But let's say that it's now cold enough, like 25 degrees or colder. And by the way, the best camping temperature is between 0 and 10 below. That's perfect. That's ideal. It doesn't get any better than that because it's bone dry. It's very easy to work with things out there. As long as you are insulated well enough. Well, how do you stay warm and dry in the snow? Simple, simple idea. Uh, and, and I asked, well, let me ask you this, Jack. What's snow? Tell me what is snow?
1: Snow is frozen water.
0: Okay, it's frozen water. So when it's frozen in a solid state, is it wet?
1: Absolutely not.
0: Okay, it's dry. It is.
1: It's dry. So now you warm it up and it gets wet. Yeah, when it, when it melts, it becomes liquid. When it's, when it's ice, it's a solid.
0: That's right. So here's the principle out there. Stop melting snow with body heat because you're, you're getting wet from the snow. As long as it's, it's cold enough out there that it's a solid, the only way that it's going to get you wet is you melt it. So you have on this skinny clothing, thin clothing that doesn't have enough insulation, which means the surface of the clothing is going to be warm but above freezing. You get a snow grain on it. What does it do? It melts. And then, if you happen to be using materials that are hydrophilic, that like moisture, wool, cotton, or anything like that, you know, uh, blue jeans is a water collecting device. It's, it's designed to collect water. And blue jeans with cotton long johns it doesn't get any worse than that. I mean, that is a water collecting device, guaranteed to freeze your hiney off. So you go outside, play for a few minutes, come back inside. So if I have on, uh, on the average, we say one inch of trap stabilized dry non-moving air. Now. It has to be air equivalent of one inch because if you had some material that was very dense, like wool, wool's heavy. So one inch of wool is not one inch of air. You're going to probably have to have two inches of wool to get one inch uh, air equivalent thickness. But if I have on like one inch of air, then what happens is the surface of my clothing is going to be about the same temperature as the outside air temperature. Realizing sun may shine on it, and warm it up, and things like that. Let's take that out of the equation. So my outside. And my clothing is now cold. I get a snow grain on it. What does it do? Nothing. Just sits there, falls off. So the principle is this stop melting snow with body heat, which means you have to have enough adequate insulation on that you can be in contact with the snow and it won't melt. Now then, what would waterproofing do for you? Nothing except trap the moisture inside because it can't get from the inside to the outside. Well, then we have these magic fabrics that, by the way, are quite incredible where we have this waterproof breathable and you take. Vortex, which is the first one. It's it's actually a beautiful fabric. It's quite miraculous what they did, how they made it. It is in fact waterproof, it is in fact windproof, and it is in fact breathable. But windproof and waterproof are absolutes. What does breathable mean? It means that some moisture can get through it, uh, moisture vapor can get through from the inside to the outside, law of physics, warm on the inside, cold on the outside and go on. So it is breathable, but the statement is this that Gore-Tex and all of the waterproof breathables are more breathable than a pane of glass. That's a true statement. But they do not allow enough to pass through so that if you had to stay zipped up in this stuff, I've done this, if you had to stay zipped up in this stuff, you're going to get ice all over the inside of it. And I've had ice inside of my Gore-Tex. I have videos of people with ice inside their Gore-Tex. And when I do training classes for linemen and people like, how many use Vortex, Gore-Tex? Yeah, how, you know, how's it going? Usually I can't repeat some of the things they say about it because, you know, stupid stuff leaks and this and that and I get ice and wet and they nothing. It doesn't leak. It's waterproof. That's the humidity, the moisture, the perspiration that's coming off of you. It's trying to move to the outside because remember, law of physics says warm to cold, it wants out and then it hits this barrier that is not breathable enough. And is that what you we,
1: call it? I mean, you call uh Waterproof, breathable fabrics a myth. And, and uh, is is that why you call it a myth instead of a lie? Because a myth is usually grounded in some sort of a fact, but then it right. diverges. Uh, whereas a lie is just, you know, if you said if you said Gore Tex is not breathable at all, that would also be a lie. But the, right. it's, it's, a, it's a degree thing. It's like we talk about self sufficiency coming in percentages, right? So this is how breathable is breathable.
0: That's right. Well, in fact, we know what the numbers are. I know what the numbers is. The industry doesn't have a clue. And we know what Gore-Tex is. When we were doing our experimenting back in the mid-'80s and and had the opportunity to do a lot of of, uh, scientific testing and things and measurements, what I know is this, that if you have the ability to move 1,000 grams of water per hour for 24 hours, uh, this is the laboratory test. It's 1,000 grams per square meter for 24 hours at 50% relative humidity, 68 degrees Fahrenheit by the ASTM dry cup method. I just gave you the standard. And as long as it's a 1,000 or above, you can you can live out there continuously in the clothing. You can get yourself wet. I don't just mean perspiration. I mean if you fall through a hole in the ice and get your clothing wet, been there, done that, that just by wearing the clothing, it will self-dry. Now, if it's less than a 1,000, you can't do that. So where's Gore-Tex? You see, if you published what the truth is really, you need a 1,000, and when you measure new Gore-Tex, new Gore-Tex is between 200 and 400. So you got 20 to 40 percent of what you need. Yes, it is breathable. Is it breathable enough? No, it's not. Simple as that. So what you have to do is you have to treat Gore-Tex, when you're living in it for long periods of time, you treat it very much like it would be waterproof, and you're going to have to take things off and dry them, air them out, uh, shake the ice out of the inside of your Gore-Tex. it'll just get lined with ice out there in the cold, you know, below zero, it'll be covered with ice inside if you're working very hard. And so you're going to have to service it. What I want is something that if I had a broken leg and I was laying down and I had to just crawl and I couldn't get inside and take anything off and I had to crawl for a couple of days, that guess what, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to like it and there will be some pain and suffering perhaps involved in that, but I'll be okay. And you want clothing that works because the clothing is intelligent, meaning that, that the it has been designed in such a way that it will perform in a way that you don't have to know diddly. You just have to not do something really dumb, like take all your clothes off and walk around naked. You're probably not going to do that. So as long as you have your clothing on, it is an intelligent uh, uh, shelter that's working for you because it's working with your body and with the environment. It's not working against it. Waterproofing and waterproof breathable is going against the rules. And when you go against the rules, you have to kind of cheat, go inside and get warm, dry things off, shake them out.
1: You know, you've done a really good job of explaining what you mean by these things. But, I mean, to some people, your statements are still going to sound just outrageous. I know. and, And some people say, why should we believe this guy? You know, why not just believe the thing that everybody already knows to be true? Why believe this guy that says, don't do this, do do that? I mean, how have you proven this out?
0: Well, one of the ways of doing it, I go back to kind of the first statement is, so are you, are you warm and dry and comfortable when you're out there in extreme conditions? And a lot of people may not go out there, so they don't have that experience. But if anybody's been outside and it's like, yeah, I get cold hands and feet, they say, okay, then you've got a problem. And what we have a tendency to do is people want to blame the weather. You know, they're outside, they're doing something, they come inside and say, man, it's a terrible day out there. The weather, it's cold, and it's windy, and it's snowing, and these things, they blame the weather. No, you have lousy clothing. Simple as that. Okay, if, if people want some evidence of those things, I just refer, you can go listen to other people and watch some things on the on the website, the company they work for, which is safeharboralliance.com, or you can get there a short way SH Prep. That will take you to a place where you'll find, a, it's either a banner or a button now, you know, it changes, and it will say something like, explore winter without worries and pals, That will take you to an index page or a landing page where there's videos that you can watch in there. And not all those videos are about me. Some of them, like this one I said about Jim and Connie Cheney at one of our snow colleges out there, this overweight couch potato, as she describes it, is out there living on this ridge at 10 degrees with snow and wind uh, in that first year. Little breezes, it wasn't heavy wind out there. She's doing it for the first time, and she's not cold. So it's like, okay... If I'm the only witness to this stuff, then I have to be, uh, you know, I must be tough or uh, not telling you the whole story or not. So you just go listen to some other people. And that's one of those things that you can watch. There's a video on there that's a whole history of PALS. You see, this didn't just start last week. This began in 1961 is where it began, 1962, where the experimenting went on. The system that is now called PALS, which is the Phillips Arctic Living System, That was named by a retired general that I was working with around. He's the one that gave it that name because, you know, the Army likes acronyms. This thing that we call PALS, it was between 1961, uh, 62 to 1972, 73. That's when the evolution was going on to kind of start to understand these principles. By 1972, 73, we were essentially done... With getting the basics down, now it's evolved and you start to understand things better. I didn't understand the problems with layers; I just knew they didn't work very well, but I didn't know why they would break down. And I didn't understand in the beginning how the moisture moved. Yes, it was it was magic; it was just going out. But I didn't understand until you start studying the laws of physics, and it's a difference in vapor pressure that drives it out. And so we became we started learning how and why these things work. But been doing this stuff for you know a long time. I'm getting to be an old buzzard. And I've been practicing in these things here uh, two three weeks ago. Here in my neighborhood, it was 20 below zero at night. and I, my, I don't know about your cars. My, well, you live in Texas. You don't have this problem My cars only break in the winter, right, when it's cold. I've got to go out there and work on this truck, and I'm going to crawl underneath the thing. And when I started, it was 5 below zero. And when I finished, I'm out there for about four hours. When I finished, it was 10 below zero. And I had no discomfort. Now, you know, if you're handling a wrench or things, and so you take your, your mitten off, and I have an anti-contact glove on so I don't stick to the darn thing. I'm going to have some chilly hands for a few moments while I'm out there doing that. But then you put the mittens back on. I had no discomfort uh, and, and no suffering when I'm out there. It was inconvenient, but it wasn't a problem. And or other people that go out, and we have, you know, a lot of folks that have done these things now. So it's not just me.
1: I, I can tell you that that's impressive because – when I joined the army, I was a mechanic, and when I got my orders for my permanent duty station, they sent me to Panama. And a lot of the guys that were going with me were like, "Panama? Yeah, it's gonna be so hot." And I, was, I was overjoyed because I don't mind the cold, but the last thing I want to do in the cold is turn a wrench. Um, yeah. if, you, if you scrape your knuckles in the cold, it's it's a hundred times worse than doing it when they're warm. Um, everything hurts. It's it's just really in. It, it, you know it, it's it's one of the more difficult functions to perform working on cold metal in the cold as far as I'm concerned
0: well and it can be hazardous too when you're dealing with those things out there I mean you, you stick to them you can get flash freeze by touching things so you have to obey certain I mean rules we all know the, we all
1: know the movie with the kid with his tongue stuck to the the flagpole the Christmas movie right mm-hmm. well that I can tell you from my own childhood experiences of goading somebody into it, that really works.
0: It really does, because I did that in the third grade, or fourth grade, I guess it was, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, when I was outside playing at recess, and it had been snowing, and there was snow stuck to the side of the flagpole, and you get thirsty, right? (laughs) So I just went up to the flagpole, I'm going to lick some snow off it. Well, I licked all the way through, big mistake, and I nailed my tongue to that flagpole. Yes, that does go that way the other other part caveat to that was just as I stuck my tongue to the flagpole, the recess bell ran and, and, and rang, and all my friends ran inside and left me out there stuck to this flagpole. And you really can't warm it up by blowing on it. I tried that. I finally had to just pull my tongue off, and, and you, you tear out some taste buds, and you bleed like a stuck pig. So, yeah, I've been there, done that one. <laughs> you know, um
1: so you mentioned people basically building this clothing because it's not available as an off-the-shelf product. So right. I know that the biggest question I'm going to get from people is, if this stuff's so great, how do I get it? So do you guys have like a course or a DVD? or something? I mean, if a person that wants to put this equipment together for themselves, do you have a resource for them? Because I was like on your site going, okay, how do I buy this stuff? And I couldn't right. find a way to buy it
0: well and there's a couple of ways to do that, and I'm working on that because it is a frustration to talk about these things. I've run in this through the years, and I was visiting with some folks uh you know last night and some other people that they they want to do some building of these things for other people. but right now the best way to get it, the surest way to get it is okay, you build your own, we we'll teach you how to do that. Yeah, I teach people how to do that. You can learn about those on the website i'm I'm publishing these courses i've uh, I've done most of them live. But if you live, in well, I've had people fly in from New York and from New Jersey and from Oregon and Wisconsin that have come to take the classes. My goal has been to get it on DVD so you don't have to come spend $600 on a plane ticket to take a $100 course. And so my interest has been getting it published, and we're doing that. I have part of it edited and all. In the meantime, well, uh, it w- we'll help you any way that we possibly can. And there are some new... Uh, DVDs that are going on the website, and some additional information. I've been editing the past uh, several days a a series that's called uh, Winter Safety Made Real, which is basically all the rules, but not teaching how to make the clothing. So that will be available here really shortly, within a few days, that people will get that. Now then you're going to learn most of the system except how to make the clothing, and then I'm publishing that one, which is called Winter Without Worries, to teach how to make the clothing, and then there's another class which is without fire shelter. It's like, okay, now you have the the clothing. Uh, how do you live with it? How do you work with it? That's without fire shelter. And then you know, if people are close by and I'm able to take them out, that's great. But you go have your own snow college. See, you don't have knowledge about something until you do it. There's a there's a law. I call it the law of provident living. And the law of provident living has four items in it. It's a short list of four from the top down. Uh, order of priority is number one keyword is spiritual. Number two is attitude. Number three is knowledge. Number four is stuff. A lot of people want to put all their emphasis into getting stuff, but it has to be top down spiritual attitude, knowledge and stuff. And the one that makes the difference between whether you live or die is your attitude. You get your attitude right. Now you have a chance of making. But how do you get your attitude right about winter and cold weather and the things we're talking about? It's called knowledge. What's knowledge? A lot of times people will say, well, there's knowledge in a library, there's knowledge in a DVD, and there's no knowledge in a library, there's no knowledge on a DVD, and there's no knowledge in what we're talking about here. This is all information. How do you get knowledge? It's a simple little formula. K equals I times E. K knowledge equals information multiplied by experience. So what you want to do is get true, correct, credible information, know your source, know that it's right, back it up and cross-check it and everything, and then you need to go get experience with it, the the Cheney's that I talk about in that one video that you can watch online, uh, Winter Without worries Experience, uh, their attitude about winter is, you know, bring it on. Their attitude about emergencies in the winter is, we're okay. We know that we can do that. That's the reason they came to my classes and learned how to do these things because it was like, okay, we have backup some fuel and we have backup stove and furnace and these things. We have uh, backup power. They have a solar system in their house and everything. But but what if those things fail or break down? Or what if you're someplace else? H- how do we take care of ourselves in the cold? So that's why they came and they've gone to snow college now. They've been out three times and they're experts in this because they've learned how to do it. They're not afraid of the winter. So whether you can go with me or not, I don't care. As a matter of fact, I can't teach everybody. So you're going to have to go play with things You get all the information you can by watching things like we have a bunch of stuff online. There's things being published. You watch those things. But do it wisely and carefully because the first time you go out, you might have done something wrong or it may not have been complete. And you don't say this doesn't work because this happened. You go like, I wonder why it doesn't work. And you go fix it and you come back and you keep trying until you know, as I know, that I can live weeks on end without any requirement for fire or heat uh, or I can even do it with no fire whatsoever because I have the ability to produce water out there in the cold because my clothing is a part of this whole system will let me melt snow. Now, regular clothing, you can't do that. But with my clothing, I can as long as I obey the rules and do things just right. I don't have to have any fire for weeks on end. I would prefer to have a little stove or some fire to melt snow to make water because that's a lot easier But I've got an alternate to these things, so I can make the statement, no fire, no shelter, weeks on end, below zero. It's inconvenient, but I'm not threatened by it because I've been learning from the the little experiments and bigger and bigger, and that's what you have to do. Don't don't build this clothing and jump on a plane and go above the Arctic Circle the first time you use it.
1: Um, Let me ask you a question as we wrap up. Since there is no DVD that tells me how to do this yet, and since I can't go buy... Um, your clothing system from you or anywhere else right now. Could you give people, you know, the, the three-minute elevator version of the construction? What is the basic construction of this so that they can look into beginning this, this type of experimentation on their own?
0: Well, I can. Now, there is a DVD that will start illustrating a lot of these things. It's, it's called Clothing 2100. Uh, correct Clothing is Personal Portable Shelter. It's being reissued again. It will be on the website within a few days. And that's a great place to go because you start seeing things. And things we've been talking about, you'll see it here. Now, it's not going to show you how to construct it, but it's going to show you about materials and some of those things, give you an idea about those things, as well as the other uh, videos that are on uh, Safe Harbor Alliance under that button, Exploring Winter Without Worries and Pals. You can read a lot of things there. And I will be publishing weekly. There will be new things that will be going up there. Now, the elevator version of this thing is understand the rules. The rules are, number one, We're going to be dealing with 100% synthetic. There's a little caveat here. If I'm working around fire, if I'm outside welding or a cutting torch or what have you, I don't want synthetic on the outside. I need Nomex or cotton or wool out there for those reasons. So, again, it's just you adapt to the situation. But where I don't have fire or heat or anything like that, then I'm going to be 100% synthetic. My inner lining fabric that will go on the inside of this foam, if I'm constructing it that way, is going to be out of a polyester, or nylon, but polyester, a, a knit, and it'll be a, a micro mesh, a very fine mesh. Otherwise, stay away from things that claim to be wicking and stuff like that, because they hold moisture, quite frankly. sells well, but it's not what you want. Just a very simple fabric inside that's a fine mesh that goes inside. Then I have, in the case of the, the PALS clothing for the extreme cold, it's going to be one inch of open-cell polyurethane foam plastic. There's the difficulty is getting good foam. There's a one of the challenges you have, and, and we help people do that. We bring in the right foam by the truckload for people. They can get it. Uh, but I can also teach you, if you need to, how you're going to go out there and find what might be as best as you can find. Now, in emergency, see, we started out here. If I'm stuck in a in an airplane or a snowcat or a snowmobile, I'm sitting on a cushion that's full of open-cell polyurethane foam plastic. I'm going to cut that up and I'm going to use it. It may be stiffer than I want. It may not be as durable as I want. It might not let moisture through as good as I'd like it to have as the premium foams, but you know what? It's going to work. So cut up your front seat of your pickup, your snowmobile, your snowcat, dig into that thing, get the insulation out of it in an emergency. We're using that kind of material. Not all foams are created equal. Some of them are are quite poor compared to the really good ones. On that uh, website under Exploring Winter Without Worries and Pals, there's a video in there that shows you a compression test, what I do to to check foams and how I compress them, and you'll see it over a certain period of days, and you'll see the more common foams that they take a compression set, so they don't hold up very well. You don't want foams like that. You want foam that will, you can put a lot of pressure on it over an extended period of time, and it pops right back, because if you spend hours building this stuff, and it goes thin on you, and you don't have insulation. So there's a lot of things that are available. There's more that's coming. But anyway, back to our elevator here. Non waterproof, open breathable, synthetic on the inside, one inch of foam on the outside. I, I'm going to cover that with a shell fabric that will be tightly woven, non waterproof, non waterproof, breathable to go over the outside of it. Now, the way I actually make things, that's the that's the simple, I'll say the simplest way of describing. But the way you actually make it is, I want the same fabric on the inside as I have on the outside on the foam. If I'm sewing it, by the way, I'll take a special machine to sew it, or you can glue it. And then what I do is I just put a different shell over top of that, an outer weather shell. It may be a windbreaker. It may, it may be my regular shirt and pants for some situations. And all of this stuff is is being published, and you'll see a bunch of it in this one uh, DVD that's called Clothing 2100, which is uh, correct clothing as personal portable shelter. And then if you watch for, we'll be up within a few days, uh, this other class. They will have numbers on them, so where they kind of fit together. Clothing 2900. Uh, which is, uh, no, it's 2290. That's right, it's 2290, and that is winter safety made real. It's about 10 and a half hours of uh, principles and practices for winter safety and cold weather injury avoidance. That will teach you most of the system around this, and then you uh, just watch some of the other things that are there and uh, watch out for more information from us. We'll teach you how to build it and or people that I'm talking to can make some things for people. And my position is, if you can afford to pay somebody else to make it, please do, because it's a pain to make. But if you can't afford to pay somebody else to do it, then build it. Uh And that's what I will spend my time doing, is teaching people how to build this stuff.
1: Well, it sounds to me like there's an opportunity for the right entrepreneurial mind right now, then, to go into the production of this stuff.
0: There it is. There is that. And looking for people that can do that, one of the challenges is that... Yeah. <laughs> There are several people and several groups that have gone in to do that, and then they get way into it, and they say, well, nobody else does that, or we can get this cheaper foam over here, or no, 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 it's it, it waterproof breathable. You have to have that. So there's some of the stuff made out there that has waterproof breathable on it, and it's, and it's a half-inch thick with waterproof breathable, and they make the claim it's good for 30 below zero. Yes, it is good for 30 below zero. How long? See these hang tags? In fact, you can watch a a video on that uh, landing page I told you about on the exploring winter without worries and pals. There's one in there that's the hang tag performance. It's a little short video that goes along with my winter safety made reel I've been doing. And it takes you through these hang tags because everybody pretty well knows that hang tags are a bunch of baloney. And because they don't give you enough information, is comfort rated. You'll see boots on there, comfort rated for 40 below zero, 100 below zero. Okay, and then I show a picture. It's an ad that we did years ago when I was actually in the manufacturing of the stuff because been here done this uh with people. And um, we had an ad, and it's a guy standing on flip-flops out in the snow. It says, even these will keep your feet warm at 60 below zero. The question is, how long?
1: <laughs> See,
0: one of the things that's missing from hang tags, they give you a temperature, but they don't tell you how long under what conditions. Are we talking when you're up and jogging, That that's... 40 below zero boot, you know, it's a you know, Sorel Caribou, comfort rated 40 below zero. Hey, that's good for a couple of three hours as long as you're very, as you're active and up and around. Now, at 40 below zero sit on a stump, how long are they good for? Eh, hmm. 10 minutes. See, yep. you, you need the rest of the equation. How long, uh, how cold, for how long, under what conditions are we talking about here? And then you have to bring in your own caveat about how's your health and hydration and nutrition, all those kinds of things. So Hang tags are baloney. Uh, and that's why you have to be able to judge this stuff yourself.
1: Well, and there are a bunch of great videos at safeharboralliance.com, uh, uh, and I'll have links there in the show notes for today. I also have uh, three different videos, um, one on uh, freezer testing, the winter without worries, and the pals history uh, in the show notes that Jim sent me, and three additional videos of Jim speaking in greater detail about preparedness in general. And, and guys, you know, I'm gonna be gone in New Hampshire over the weekend, and there'll be no show on Friday and Thursday's show is going to be very brief compared to the normal, so uh, there's quite a bit of content here that Jim has available for you to uh, to fill your time with since uh, TSP will be on hiatus over the weekend. And uh, Jim, with that, man, I, you, you've taught me a lot today. Um, I had high expectations from you. When somebody gets referred by Stephen Harris, they, they need to be an A plus uh, performance, and, and you certainly fulfilled that. And I appreciate you being with us here today.
0: Well, it's my pleasure, and it's fun. And my whole interest is just simply to reach and teach people, help make a difference, whether you're talking recreational or getting ready for emergencies or disasters. It doesn't make any difference. It's like let's let's just don't suffer, let's don't get hurt, and let's help other people. So you learn the rules, you obey the rules. And then life goes a whole lot better, whether we're talking about cold weather or water or sanitation or all these different things that you have to look at in life. I consider there's nine areas. As long as you learn the rules in those nine areas, hey, you know, the, the future, you don't have to face it with fear. You can look at it with hope and with confidence. And that's the way I believe we should do this.
1: I completely agree, and I think you uh, have found a, a group of about sixty-five thousand kindred spirits in the uh, the audience of the Survival Podcast. So again, thank you for your time and being with us today. My pleasure. And folks, with that, this has been Jack Spiro today, along with Jim Phillips, helping you figure out how to live that better life. if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget.